So, hello everyone, and if we can do the little ritual of connection, so I know you're there and connected. Thank you. It's very nice. Some of you even smiled, which was nice. So, um, I very much like the metaphor of a journey, that the Buddhist practice is taking us on a journey. And one of the things I like about the word journey is it comes from the French word for day. And it's however far you travel on one day. So there's no hurry to get anywhere, just where you, is the journey of the day, the journey of the moment. I would like to take you on a very short journey. I call it a three breath journey. And that is when I finish explaining what we're doing, we'll do it. And that is, put aside everything you've ever thought about, learned about meditation. Maybe don't even change your posture, just be content the way you are. Maybe close your eyes. And then just allow your experience as fully as you can, three breaths, counting those three breaths, one, one count for each breath. And then when we finish that journey, then we'll discuss it. So why don't you close your eyes and do your three breath journey. And then when you're finished, you can open your eyes. And I wonder what changed for you in the course of that journey. Were you exactly the same at the end as you were when you started? Did something shift and change? What was that? And maybe it's okay to ask a few of you to maybe volunteer. What changed for you in the course of those three breaths? You unmute yourself and let us know. Or if you want to do it a little bit more orderly, we can, you can raise your hand. I think I saw uh, Claire's hand, yes? Uh, I um, just imagine that my breath was the tide going in and out. And I felt like I was breathing in the ocean and breathing it out. And uh -huh. beautiful. And how were you? How were you at, at the end? That different than when you started. I felt very expansive. Okay, wonderful. Someone else? Yes, Wendy. I just felt calmer and more settled, and my heartbeat slowed down. And just more present. Thank you. So then I think uh, Bridget. Yeah. Um, I noticed the first breath was quite shallow. 
And then um, the second breath, I actually um, took a very deep breath and um, the out breath, deep breath in. And the out breath was just completely releasing and letting go. And the third breath settled into um, abdominal breathing, which then continued. That was nice. quite incredible, really. The shift, you know, within this short practice. So, uh -huh. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So the last one can be Susan. Mine was very similar, really. Uh, the first breath, I felt myself starting to relax. And the second one, my, my shoulders dropped. And, um, and then it was much deeper breath, the third breath. So mm -hmm. it was, yeah, just a breath. Wonderful. So I don't expect everyone to have it that easy, but it's possible sometimes very quickly to have a three-breath journey to shift things kind of quite strongly, quite significantly, that short of a time. However, when we meditate sometimes, the first three breaths are not like that. Why, do the, why are the first three breaths not already starting that process? What, are, what might you be doing that maybe gets in the way of that simplicity of just settling in like that? Any volunteers for, you don't have to, you don't have, it, it can be a guess. You don't have to know for sure. Or it can be what other people do rather than personal. But what do you think? What gets in the way? And yes, so that's Nadine. I think I'm I'm what getting ready for a longer journey. So it's it's the expectation that well this this is just pre pre preparing myself for the next the next uh -huh. number so three. The, uh, so you're living with the idea of time in the future. That's that's what yeah, you're bringing I'm that along. I'm actually in the future all the time. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's not only tomorrow for me. It's it's not only tomorrow for me. It's, uh -huh. it's so in that case, you're missing out on a lot that's available here. Okay, great, thank you. Someone else? Yes, uh, Liz. I, I think my mind gets in the way because when I did the three breaths that you asked me to do, I thought, um, that's not. In, I'm not watching that breath. I'm. I'm doing it, and I'm making it happen. And I'm conscious of it. And I hadn't reached the place yet where I could be just allowing it. So for you, uh, there was all these ideas of how it's supposed to be or what you're supposed to do that interfered. No, I just was aware that that I I was somehow controlling it. Mm. Um, my, my mind was in the way okay. and um, it was different than when I just watch and notice. Great. Okay. Thank you. And then Wendy. Sorry, I'm not so good at this. <laughs> um, I was aware um, of the busyness um, when I start a meditation and sit down and take those three breaths, I'm aware of a certain amount of busyness that I'm bringing to the sitting and um, 
maybe lack of mindfulness that has crept up. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so, that, so, and, and and just having these three breaths to do, did that were you able to put some of that aside and just settle in more, or was it that busyness there just in three breaths, nothing changed? It depends. Sometimes I can um, uh, already feel it might be busyness of the mind and put into practice that that sort of settling of that sensation. Um, sometimes it's just an awareness that comes and that's a good place to start from. This doesn't always go away instantly, no. Nice, nice. Thank you for those comments. The, some people, uh, uh, when they start meditating, have all these ideas of what meditation is that sometimes interferes with the simplicity of just being with the simple breath in the moment. And some people find that this three breath journey is a way of kind of putting aside meditation ideas of how it's supposed to be just being very simple and just being with the breath in and of itself that there can be a shift in three breaths and and but but if we have 45 minutes to meditate sometimes there's a whole 45 minute idea and that we're supposed to do this big project and there's so much to so far to go and i'm just beginning and it can interfere with the simplicity of just being there for three breaths. The three breaths journey can be done anytime in life. Uh, you have three breaths standing in the market line waiting for your turn at the checkout counter. It can be done before you start eating your food. It could be done before you start meditating. It could be done in the middle of a meditation session. So just, uh, just to be mindful of three breaths, be present for it. Once, once upon a time, there was a new novice monk who came to the monastery who was eager to, to practice, but then was introduced to some kind of practice, but then was introduced to mindfulness practice. It was a new thing for this monk, this novice. So the novice asked the abbess, when am I supposed to be mindful? And she answered, when it's the best alternative. If you have a better alternative than being mindful, maybe don't bother being mindful. But when mindfulness is the better alternative, please be mindful. And sometimes there are times when if we're honest with ourselves, what we're doing with our minds is, usually, is not necessarily the better option, the better alternative. And as we learn the art of mindfulness, the how it, how it can be done, it's possible to learn that more and more, it's actually one of the best alternatives going. It's a way of being present and with some kind of clarity without, where the clarity itself is not weighed down by attachments, by burdens we carry on our shoulders, by shoulds and shouldn'ts, by big projects. It's a, the radical simplicity of just being present is a simplicity that is not weighed down by those things. 
Whereas too often in a human life, the alternative to that kind of attention does involve some kind of stress, some kind of clinging attachment, some kind of pressure, some kind of um, lost in an imaginary future or reviewing a past, that sometimes it's nice to do those things. But uh, over time, the qualitatively best place to be is to really feel like you're present, aware, here and now. And as the practice of mindfulness grows, uh, less and less will appear to be the, the better alternative to mindfulness. More and more mindfulness will seem like the better alternative. But it's not an alternative that rejects things or turns away from things. It's actually an alternative that's, in, in, if you kind of to use a metaphor in a sense, that's big enough to hold all of our life. So it's an alternative that just makes room for everything as opposed to an alternative that is reject something automatically. So the three breath journey maybe is a better alternative to what you can be doing with your time for those three breaths than many of the other things you're thinking about doing or you are doing. Then the question is, in those the time it takes three breaths, are you willing to give yourself to the three breaths? Or is the not so good alternative much more compelling? What is the attraction to it? What's the gravitational pull to it? What's the stickiness that might keep us in our preoccupations, concerns, fantasies, stories that we're living, all kinds of things. This is a fascinating thing to discover and practice, to discover why is it, if we know that there's something better to do, why, why, don't, why don't we do it? Why do we stay you know, ruminating, stay repeating the same stories sometimes, the same criticism, the same kind of um, deflating kind of thoughts? So this is a very serious question that I think practitioners have to grapple with and deal with. And the lawyers of the mind will come along and argue, you know, their case for why you should be attached. And it's kind of, if you pardon me, maybe I don't want to be <clears throat> challenging your mind in some unhealthy way or an un disrespectful way, but it's kind of ridiculous that when just for three breaths, three breaths are the better alternative, that you, you wouldn't do it. Maybe. So as we practice mindfulness, practice, awareness practice, we start appreciating more and more what a great alternative is to the to other things we could be doing. And as we feel this alternative that we can do, we're lucky. We're lucky we know something better and we're lucky that we have a practice to approach that better way of being, to practice that better way of being. It's a tremendous good fortune. 
And so as people get a better sense, more and more sense of that this is good, the honesty of mindfulness, the clarity of mindfulness, the three-dimensional ways in which we enter into the present moment more fully, it's good. There can, there can arise a kind of appreciation of that, even a delight, even a joy, even a sense of kind of, wow, this is, I have good fortune. How did I end up discovering this? And this is one of the, one of the many forms of Dharma joys that can arise. As we do this practice, what we're cultivating, one of the things we're cultivating is well-being. And I use the word well-being as an umbrella term for things like delight, gladness, joy, happiness, contentment, bliss, ecstasy, rapture, warmth, um, just, just plain old happy. There's a whole bunch of these positive emotions and these are part of the path. These are supportive for the unfolding. And when I was a Zen student, they never told me that. And in fact, Zen, Zen always seemed so stoic and strict and serious when I, I practiced it. And, um, and one of the consequences of that was that as I started having some feelings of well-being through Zen practice, I kind of dismissed them. I kind of ignored them because I had the serious thing to do. And, um, but if I'd known that this is part of the practice, this is what I learned through doing Vipassana practice. I learned to also make room for feelings of well-being. Now, some people are chasing happiness. Some people are trying to engineer themselves to be happy, but that's really not how it's done. We create the conditions for happiness and we learn to recognize the conditions that bring it forth, but we, don't, we, don't, we try not to be the cause of happiness, but we are cultivating happiness, well-being. And um, so one of, the, one of the ways that that happens is we begin recognizing it when it's there. And maybe in the beginning, it's mildest forms. Now I know that, you know, not only in Zen did I ignore my well-being, but in many times in daily life, um, you know, I have a good neurosis going on, or at least I used to. And um, I was too busy being neurotic to feel the well-being that was there. It turned out there was a lot more pleasure, well-being available than I availed myself of, than I allowed myself to feel. So something as simple as 
going outside in the sunny, nice blue sky and nice weather and just feeling the delight of the warmth and the sun and the clarity. That's such a simple thing, innocent thing to do. But I used to be so preoccupied and caught up in my stories, ideas of challenges and stresses of life that I, could, I would go out into a situation like that and I was too busy <laughs> to notice uh, what, you know, the simple pleasures of life. So one way to begin opening up to this deeper wellspring of well-being that we're capable of is to avail ourselves of some of the easy pickings, some of the easy ways in which we can feel pleasure. We can feel some kind of delight and maybe some inspiration that's always available. This is not talking ourselves into it, but it's more like feeling our way into it. Is there here right now something that feels nice, enjoyable? One of the things that can start feeling nice as we practice is relaxation. That as we begin releasing tension in our body, the tension tends to be replaced by some feeling of relief, some feeling of lightness, of clarity, of openness, of even some kinds of pleasure. There's a good feeling in letting go of tension. And again, here's a situation where I also didn't avail myself of that. I didn't know to stop and feel the good physical feelings that came in the wake of relaxation because I was always so busy in my practice. I had to go on to the next thing. So relax your shoulders. Okay, I'll relax my shoulders and what's next? <laughs> okay, I'll relax my belly. Okay, what's next? Okay, back to my breath, in breath. What's next, you know? I was a little bit like that. But take your time, relax your shoulders and then stay there for a few moments to feel how good that feels. It doesn't have to be dramatic, but it feels good. Relax your belly and feel maybe it feels better now and take some moments to feel how it feels better. Maybe over a course of 45 minutes, there's a, a very slow, calming relaxation that goes on, just sitting still with the body and the mind quiets down a little bit, maybe because you're not being stimulated by external things so much. At some point, that feels better than how it felt at the beginning. Take time to let that register. Feel the goodness of it. Feel the well-being or the contentment or the then wow, it's, that's nice, the pleasure of that. This is not supposed to be hedonistic where you lean into it and savor it and all that, but rather it's beginning to um, allow these positive feeling space to grow and be cultivated, to have their time under the sun of awareness, to let them grow and expand. One of the reasons this is really helpful for mindfulness practice is that it's a little bit easier for your mind to want to be present to what's pleasant than it is to be present for what's unpleasant. 
And so if you start recognizing the present, the, how the, pre, the part, aspects of the present moment that are pleasant, then, um, you know, your mind's more likely want to stay present, be with it, then stay with it. Then coming back from being distracted, you're coming back to something pleasant. So it's, that's nice rather than something unpleasant. Some people now hearing this though, might try too hard to only experience pleasure, only experience what's good and kind of, you know, put blinders on or get all tense, staying all tight to what's pleasant. That doesn't work either. Um, we uh, Sooner, we have to also when we do this practice, learn to be comfortable with discomfort. Learn how to be present with what's painful and difficult. And that'll come eventually. You, you can't, sooner or later it'll find you. So you don't have to go racing into the unpleasant, but always, always, you know, practice with that. But if there's some pleasure, some delight, some joy, some gladness, just you're glad you don't have to do all, be at work. <laughs> you're glad you don't have to, I don't know what, uh, in a residential retreat, some people are just glad they don't have to cook anymore. And um, so to allow for that gladness and appreciation. And that'll make it easier to be present for things when they're difficult. Another way to, do, to experience some sense of well-being in practice is to find a way where you enjoy being mindful. Find a way that it feels nice to notice you wandered off into thought for the 10,000 times and you begin again with your breathing. So I used to have the, um, the you know, kind of like a pouncing attitude towards mindfulness. So the jerking, I'd jerk my mind around. My mind wouldn't wander off, I'd jerk it back to my breath. The mind wander off, I'd pounce back to my breath. The mind wandered off and I was like dismissive of my mind, like just stop that, come back. It was kind of like a little bit of a war zone. I learned that that doesn't work. What works is not be in conflict with things, not be at war with our experience. What works is to have a mindfulness practice that is has a kind of acceptance, a kind of a openness and a willingness to experience what's there, not be in conflict with what's there, whatever, whether it's painful or pleasant or troubling or not troubling, this too is a valid object of attention. This too can be given breathing room by holding it in awareness. And that kind of that some attitude kind of like that makes it more pleasant to show up and be mindful. And then if you do want to begin again with your breathing, you might be very careful how you do that. So that the very act of moving back into your breath is enjoyable. Maybe you do it leisurely, you take your time and just kind of float back into the breathing. Something that I've learned to do is to, I don't move my mind to go back to the breathing. 
I welcome the breathing back to my mind, to my awareness. When it occurs to me that, you know, I can now start again with my breathing, I just ask myself, is it right now, is it an in-breath or is it an out-breath that's happening? And this idea of floating the mind back or welcome, uh, floating the mind back to the breath or welcoming the breath back, or just a simple question, is this an in-breath or an out-breath? I find kind of nice and fun and enjoyable and I like doing it. And so mindfulness becomes less a duty, a burden, less work. And sometimes it even feels like play instead. Sometimes it just feels like a way of caring for myself. It feels like an act of kindness or compassion. What I'm saying I don't think is easy to discover, but this is one of the ways to get the most out of mindfulness practice is to experiment, look around, try to figure out, are there some ways that you can be mindful that the act of mindfulness, the act of awareness is enjoyable. Or e, or a word that I love, uh, uh, is it easeful? Can you be at ease with it? There's a sense of ease and spaciousness and openness and non-striving and non-conflict. <clears throat> Just be show up. Now, one of the arguments for why that's not good enough, you can't do that, is that, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's important to be in a hurry, you know, to get somewhere quickly. Like, you know, you want to get enlightened quickly because there's a lot more things to do in life. <clears throat> but <clears throat> the whole mentality of hurry is not very, is not very inviting for pleasure, for happiness, for well-being. So we can have gladness from being fortunate to have this practice to do. We can have a certain kind of uh, uh, <clears throat> pleasure in the relaxation that happens as we practice. We can have a certain uh, deep appreciation for how mindfulness itself the clarity of it maybe, or the spaciousness of it, or the allowing quality of it, is, is so much more satisfying than being dissatisfied with how our practice is going. Dissatisfying, we're not going fast enough, we're getting something. And so to, um, so to begin finding this pleasure, as we get deeper into the practice, there are dharmic pleasures that are that well up. And the Buddha makes a very important distinction between the pleasures of the senses and non-sensual pleasure. Pleasures of the senses, you know, you know, tasting nice food or um, you know, getting a nice massage or listening to nice music or something. <clears throat> And um, there's nothing uh, wrong with that pleasure. Sometimes people get wrapped up with it that's compl in complicated ways. But there's a whole other kind of pleasure that is not of the senses, that is a welling up from within, 
And so it's not dependent on the external world. The world doesn't have to be providing us with rewards or with things being just right. Or, but rather the conditions within are such that there's a wellspring. The word wellspring is used intentionally because the Buddha describes joy, a kind of this dharmic joy that arises like, a, like an underwater spring, fountain of water, that the, that spring uh, flows fre refreshing cool water into the quiet lake. And this idea of this, <clears throat> this water that just flows, the wellspring that rises in the depth of the lake and flows outwards into the lake. And then he continues with the metaphor or the analogy in a lake in which there's no rivers bringing water into the lake, no rain bringing it in. All the refreshed water is coming from inside. So this is he, what he's using this analogy for is for what it can feel like inside. When we get settled enough and engaged in this simple practice of mindfulness, but in a focused way, a stable way, a steady way, uh, it makes room, it kind of begins to evoke this deeper sense of satisfaction, deeper sense of joy and well-being, deeper sense of contentment that, that has a source that's non-sensual. The Buddha said about this kind of joy, that this is a joy you don't have to be afraid of. So I don't know if any of you ever was afraid of joy or but in case you are, this is a kind of joy is not to be afraid of. And what does it take for this deeper non-sensual joy or pleasure to arise? One of the conditions for it is making space for it. If we're claustrophobically, claustrophobically involved with all our thoughts and concerns and challenges of life and ambitions and fears and all things that people have a lot of. It's not like, I don't wanna disrespect the challenges of what, you know, our life conditions and what it brings us in terms of all, how their mind works. But our preoccupations make things claustrophobic and we don't feel, we don't have room to experience more fully what's here. How do we make room to experience well-being so it, has, so it has a chance to surface and come? One of the ways is to practice mindfulness of the body. Turns out the being present in your body being and the ability to feel your body and rest in the somatic experience, the physiological experiences of the body is a way that we give the body room for well-being to flow through us. The more a more deeper kind of dharmic joy and happiness that's possible is experienced through the medium of our physical body. So if we're living from the neck up in our head, it's certainly possible to have mental pleasure. 
fantasies or problem solving or things. But oddly enough for the Buddha, uh, the kind of mental pleasure of thinking fantasies or solving puzzles in your mind um, is considered sensual pleasure. But if we can drop below the neck and, and give time to feel our experience, our physical experience, it's kind of like giving breathing room in our body so there's space for something to begin to unfold and move. At first, it might not be pleasure, pleasant. Many of us will have a backlog of unresolved emotions and feelings that are just sitting there under the surface, hoping for the day that the day will come. Well, they'll, they'll have a chance to flow forth, to come forth and be seen and have their time to kind of un evolve, dissolve, whatever they need to do. Some people don't want to experience their body because then they have to touch into these difficult places that they've been avoiding for sometimes for decades. But it, it's kind of the ticket that if you want to let your body become your friend, that allows you to begin experiencing so many beneficial states, you have to first open to your body and be willing to befriend your body. And if what the body wants to show is grief, befriend the grief. If what it wants to show is rage, befriend the rage. If it, what it wants to reveal, let yourself make room for that. But befriending it, it does not mean indulging in it, collapsing into it. It doesn't mean believing it. It just means that you're a kind, non-judgmental friend sitting on the park bench with someone who is troubled and challenged and struggling. You're not justifying, you're not judging, you're not trying to fix your friend. You're just there to be, be with your friend. And so in this mindfulness practice, sometimes we become our own best friend, sitting on a park bench, allowing these things to emerge and being mindful of them. So sometimes that has to happen as we open to the body. <clears throat> but as time comes, there's something, <clears throat> some other feelings of well-being will begin filling your body as well. One that came to me early on when I had all these unresolved issues, and griefs that I had to kind of, you know, you know, allow for time for, and to, there were times in my early retreats that I sobbed. Um, I remember how surprised I was by as much as I was suffering, that something about just being, allowing for it to move through me on retreat it was a feeling of rightness. It felt so right. It felt so true. This is true. 
this, and it feels right to make room for it and just to really be there and experience, it felt right. And, um, and that, that feeling of rightness then traveled with me in other circumstances where <clears throat> there was times where I ended up being with people who horrible tragedies happened to them. And I was there either as a witness or as a support or something. And it was heartbreaking, but it was true. And there was, I wouldn't, didn't say there, I wouldn't say there was pleasure, but there's feeling this is right. There's a rightness here. If it's happening, it feels right to be a witness. It feels right to attend to it. And that feeling of rightness I put under this category, this umbrella of well-being. Yes, this is hard and it's right, it's appropriate, it's good that I'm here for it. And then as we continue practicing and allowing the, making room in our body to experience what happens in the body, then we can start feeling more easily the good feelings that come when we relax, when we let go of tension, the good feelings that come when we feel a deep satisfaction, good fortune of being able to do the practice, the good feelings that comes when we feel the support of a Sangha community that we practicing with, maybe. It's a, remarkable to me this, uh, I don't know how it's been in New Zealand where you all are, but uh, because here in the United States there's been so much isolation, so much you know being alone and separate from people and I've been surprised now that we're starting to come together a little bit. <clears throat> the way in which it's kind of, it's uh, nourishing to be together with other people in a way I didn't know because I just took it for granted. I kind of like, it was just like, it was just like, you know, it was always there, the nourishment. So I just didn't even see it. But now having spent two years where I haven't been personally with many people at all, starting to be with people again, it just feels so, something different is happening. And I feel so grateful for this practice of mindfulness of the body that allows me to sense and feel that nourishment. It feels like it comes in through the pores, feel it in the marrow of our bones, kind of, kind of glowing in the muscles and tendons. So I hope that this talk doesn't discourage you because it seems so far away to experiencing anything like what I'm talking about. I hope rather that you find yourself content to open up to the small pleasures that's here as your practice that you allow yourself to experience the small joys, the small delights, the small happinesses that might be here, but you've often overlooked. And that you begin experimenting <clears throat> with how you can be aware of something. So being aware itself has a pleasure in it. And, and it, 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 to, 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 you know, try out different ways of being mindful. 
Some people like really like being intimate and feeling closeness to experience. Some people actually find it at certain times much more pleasant if they step back and observe things from a distance in their mind's eye. One is not any better than the other. It's each one is right for the individual, for the circumstance. Some people find it's more, there's more enjoyment in the practice when they're really feeling their experience. Some people find more enjoyment from clearly recognizing what their experience is using mental notes. Some people find they get more pleasure from the experience by lovingly hooking their attention onto the breath and just letting the breath take the lead, but kind of be harnessed to it and not, the, not allow yourself to kind of slip off the breath and just kind of, you know, being massaged with the breath, kind of, or letting the breath massage you or imagine the breath, the, the inhale and exhale is kind of like a hand rhythmically petting a cat. And just kind of, you, as you pet the cat, it starts purring. Staying with the breath, almost like you're being stroked in a nice way until you start feeling the purr of just kind of settling in, relaxing into the breathing, just breathing. That's all that's going on. The more you're able to do just one thing at a time, the chances are the more of this deep dharmic pleasure you'll be able to feel. It's not, but it's not automatic. It does require you to, to, to create the right conditions to make room for that joy to arise. You have to make, you have to not allow yourself to be distracted in thoughts. <clears throat> you have to take a little bit of time not to be in a hurry and to receive the experience. What's here that you can receive that's enjoyable? What's nice right now? That maybe your thinking mind would never occur to it to notice. Maybe there's all kinds of problems outside the room you're sitting meditating in, but in the room it's safe. How nice to be safe. In the room, maybe it's quiet or something. In the room, you left your, hopefully your phone somewhere else. No one's gonna call you. Isn't that good? I don't know. So each of you will find your own way. So all the examples I've given today, <clears throat> um, I'm hoping what they do is point to something that you can translate into your own way of being in this world. But the principle is, that what we're, also what we're doing in this practice is cultivating well-being. You're allowed to do this, but don't be attached to it. Don't engineer it. Don't strive for it. Be really easy and relaxed and, and um, 
It's a cultivation that's that uh, we cultivate a lot by letting go and opening up and feeling through the body what happens in the wake of letting go, what happens in the wake of relaxing, what happens in the wake of really being present for what's true in the rightness of the moment. And whenever you feel like it, you can take a three breath journey. May it be a good alternative for you to carry along with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.